Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, Executive Director of CIO Programs here at IDG, and we're very pleased today to have with us on CIO Leadership Live, Bill Mayo, who is the CIO of the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. Bill joined the Broad in 2016, bringing with him 20 plus years of strategic technology leadership in both the biotech and consumer products industries. For those of you not familiar with it, the Broad Institute is a biomedical and genomic research center based in Cambridge, Mass. It was launched in 2004 to bring groundbreaking science to the field of genomics, as well as research in areas such as infectious disease, ca cancer, psychiatry, and cardiovascular disease. Before he joined the Institute, Bill was the senior director of IT at Biogen IDEC, another Boston area biotech leader. Earlier on, he spent about 20 years with the Gillette Company and Procter & Gamble in a wide range of IT and IT audit roles. Much of his career has been focused on leading change in a wide range of business environments. He's led teams and projects in more than 20 countries and implemented hundreds of projects and been involved with dozens of mergers and acquisitions. So we're going to have a lot to talk about today. In addition to his accomplishments as a CIO, Bill serves as the chairman of the governing board of the Accentria Care Alliance, which is a nonprofit community service organization based in Worcester, Mass. He's also a steering committee member of the College of Computer and Information Sciences at Northeastern University's Venture Mentoring Network. Welcome, Bill. It's a delightful to have you here. Thank you. Thrilled All to right. be here. Let's start out by talking a little bit more about the unique history and the background mm. of the Broad. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating place. It's mm -hmm. um, one I only tangentially knew of uh, prior to pursuing a role here, mm -hmm. and which is a little strange because it plays a very pivotal role in the whole Kendall Square ecosystem that is this biotech, high-tech, academic, healthcare, life sciences yes. thing and, that goes on. And in your there. previous company, Biogen IDEC, was very involved in all of and that. And I was literally directly across the street, and mm -hmm. today we've moved into the third and fifth floor of that building from Broad, where I oh. started on the fourth floor with Biogen. So <gasps> Circles you know, and circles yeah, yeah, all yeah, circling back. I was wondering back. if I was going to get my old office back. Yeah. <laughs> But the you know the institute as you said is uh, mm -hmm. you know 15ish years old, um, uh, grew out of the original human genome project. Mm -hmm. We like to say we focus on three main things: understanding the biological mechanism behind diseases, mm -hmm. uh, developing the analytical methods to do something with that understanding, yes, and then helping to partner with the right people to bring that into therapeutics. Yes, uh, so. and that's the unusual aspect of the pro road, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. a lot of research institutes just do the research. But you've got that bridge to, what is it, 3,000 scientists and yeah, yeah, doctors yeah, in yeah, this yeah. area? It's so, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think what you might be alluding to there is we, we have this, we have this, you know, many companies talk about kind of their staff, and we have, we are Brodies. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about being about 4,500 Brodies, yeah. and roughly only a, only about a third of them are actual employees. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so that other two-thirds are affiliates through hospitals, um, universities, mm -hmm. academic medical centers, other research centers, really around the world. Yeah. Um, but it gives us a great ecosystem to be part of. Well, that's it. And I know it 
presents many unique challenges for you as a CIO mm -hmm. tending to this ecosystem, and we'll definitely get into that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> one of the things you told me about it that I thought was interesting was you said that for the Institute, it's quite possible to be a computer scientist and not a <laughs> biologist, but the opposite is not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, is, Explain this is, that a little bit more. Yeah, um, a bit of my shtick uh, <clears throat> is, um, you know, when I was in school studying computer science at mm -hmm. Northeastern University, um, I like to say the, the, the hard sciences, the real sciences used to give us a hard time as being a little needy, and that if you had to put science in the name of your discipline, then maybe you weren't a real scientist. Oh, These those were the scientists. The they say the same the thing to engineers, don't uh, they? Yeah. yeah. And, and mm -hmm. today I like to say the computer scientists won. Um, uh, and for exactly that line, yeah. uh, at least at places like the Broad, you can be a computer scientist and not a biologist. Yeah. It's very difficult to be a biologist or a chemist or a phys certainly a physicist and, mm -hmm. and not also be a computer scientist. Yes. Yeah. Well, interesting. Good. I'm glad the tables turned yeah, in yeah, IT's yeah, favor, yeah. finally. I'm and I'm sure I'll hear from some of my colleagues now. I haven't <laughs> said, but, yeah. On that one, yeah. huh? Um, well, you said that one of the uh, one of the things I know we'll get uh, into talking a little bit more about is the role that machine learning is starting mm. to play mm. in. Uh, you were talking about machine learning turning everything on its head. That the the scientific method used to be mm. you'd experiment, you draw your data, and then you draw your conclusions. Mm. But now the way you're using data analysis and machine learning has flipped that model. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure I could get some argument out of somebody who uh, you know learned the scientific method more thoroughly than my ninth grade class probably mm -hmm. did, which is when I was last against it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it absolutely started with form a hypothesis, develop uh, an experiment that would prove or disprove that, mm -hmm. go collect some data, and repeat. Right. And in the machine learning space, it is very, it, it, to a large extent, it's reversed. Mm -hmm. There's still experimental design goes on. We talk a lot about the notion of designing for inference, okay. making sure you have the data you'll need in order to infer some information from it. Uh. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is you're closer to starting with data than starting with inference than, mm -hmm. than you have been in 500 years. So. How have you seen that change the relationship between your IT folks mm -hmm. and or your computer science experts and then people like your data scientists on staff or mm -hmm. the straight up biologists who maybe kind of grudgingly have to also be computer yeah, science yeah, experts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how has that all kind of evolved? Yeah, so th there's this weird um, and actually quite pleasant uh, merging of the three. Uh, mm -hmm. To a large extent, you don't usually hear weird and pleasant. In the yeah, same yeah. Well, because it's it's you know it's not the world that we trained in. It's not right. it's not the dichotomy or trichotomy, I guess. That mm -hmm. in, in context to your question, that we've been reared to expect. Yeah. Um, it's this notion of there is a lot to there are it poses interesting challenges for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is can be a bit of a launch point off kind of into the cloud-based world, mm -hmm. but flexibility is what it forces on IT. Um, ah. And in, interestingly, that goes right to, you know, the heart of capital-based purchase models and all that kind of stuff. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense for me to spend millions of dollars buying this amazing piece of equipment mm -hmm. that it might be the wrong thing because the experiment leads you a different way tomorrow. Right. And suddenly this carefully configured, finely honed, multi-million dollar thing is not right. But or I've got 35 months of depreciation left. Um, <laughs> so. Or you need so much 
more of that power that you can't right. afford. Right. So well, I know, we'll, or I need all that <clears throat> power today, yeah. and I don't need any of it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, well, I know we're going to get into a yeah, whole yeah, discussion we'll about route. the cloud. Yeah. Absolutely. Before we do, there, I wanted. I always ask CIOs about you know their their competitors out in the market yeah. and how their IT department you know how aware they are of the business environment. But in the whole research and biomedicine and genomic research area, you don't really think of competitors. They're more like collaborators. Um, explain how your ecosystem, how that works. Yeah, so there's there's a couple levels. Mm -hmm. um, one I already referred to, right? I referred to this, you know, one the two thirds of our Brodies are, mm -hmm. you know, they may draw, they do draw their primary uh, paycheck, if you will, if you put it that simple, somewhere else. Um, and right. yet they're working here, right? So yes. there's clearly a, a, a point towards collaboration that is in there. Um, <coughs> of course, there's there's academic competition. People want to be the one who mm -hmm. makes this insight. Who do, and there's often a great deal of money involved with the IP right. behind it and who can launch this company, et cetera. Um, but we do really start from the fact that increasingly to make the kind of insights you need in, in genomics in particular requires very large data sets, requires a very large N, because um, mm -hmm. essentially you have a relatively faint signal. And mm. I can try to go generate all that data myself, or I could look at the world and say, you know what, there are you know 100 other companies in Kendall Square alone, much less the Boston area right. nationally or globally, who are generating the same kind of data. Mm -hmm. And what are the opportunities for us to actually pool that data mm -hmm. intelligently, responsibly, appropriately, with consent, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But what are the ways for us to pool that for, quite frankly, the benefit of mankind? Yes. Um, yeah. How so? How how are you answering that question? How do you yeah. pull that pull that data? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, we I like to say uh, uh, along with our advanced technical skills, our advanced biology skills, all mm -hmm. our understanding of science, you, there's actually a, a deep fluency at the institute in understanding what motivates people. And we're very good at kind of building consortia among different groups who may have different angles that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. But surprisingly often, like a good puzzle, if you stare at it long enough, you can often find a path that actually meets the needs of all the people involved um, in a way that none of you would have been able to do alone. Okay. Uh, an interesting example there is, so take this sharing and pooling of data sets, right? Mm -hmm. So. Pharma companies will have all sorts of genomic data. Other institutes will, um, uh, uh, universities will, et cetera. And it's, it can be, there, there are a host of reasons why, despite sharing being good, it's difficult. And one of them is things like consent mm -hmm. or just concern about losing the data, concern about losing control of the data, not losing yes. it, but losing control of it. And so we're pursuing with some tech partners uh, mm -hmm. a, a notion called secure multi-party computing, which mm -hmm. essentially is doing the computer science work to figure out algorithms so I can leave a data set fully encrypted and yet still kind of extract the, the value of an insight from it without mm -hmm. ever even decrypting it for the algorithm. It's not like I decrypt it in a way that allows um, you know only trusted people to look at it. Oh. Leave it encrypted mm -hmm. throughout and still extract the value. And if I can do that essentially partial p-value story across a bunch of different people's data sets, mm -hmm. um, then I got the power of that larger data set that I was after when I started. Ah. How is there anything um, that has happened in, say, the past year that is a great example of what this can result in? Hmm. Um, 
So may, maybe less about the result and more about some of the work that's going on. Yeah. Because um, it points back to that consortium model and mm -hmm. how to tell the story to a group of people that are interested in solving the same thing so that you have a chance of getting there. Okay. Um, I like to say one of the things we have at the Broad, uh, one of the currencies we have to use are mm -hmm. really good use cases. Use cases, yeah. um, And this is an example <coughs> of a great use case. So we can kind of tee this up into, let's say, a tech community um, that would love to have um, new solutions to some of the information security kind of problems that are generally right. out there. Right. So they'll help us do the computer science um, will be a test case for what can get done. Mm -hmm. We can all talk about the good of humanity. Um, and in the end, they might end up with a product they can sell to right. other people. Right. And we're just happy because that problem got solved in the world. Yes, and right. solved with a lot of resources that you didn't have to install right. and pay right. for and so forth. Because right. you told me, you said, if you're talking about something on a vendor's <laughs> price list, yeah. they're asking the wrong questions. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines when, I, when, I, when, I'm, work, when I'm working a vendor. Yeah. Uh, after a while, we get talking, we talk about the partnership, what we could yep. do, what we could do. And at some point... And their eyes are lighting up at oh, this yeah, point. They're, they're trying yeah. to sell me something. And yep. I'm like, you know, let's, that'll happen. The, the, sure. the, the right thing, if I need it, We'll buy it. It's all good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Tell me about how one of the things I've noticed in, in the things that have been written about you and the Broad and the work you've been mm -hmm. doing there is how much you reduce the cost of processing on the cloud. Yeah. Uh, talk about that setup and brag about a few of your numbers. Because yeah, yeah, sure. I think it started out at like $45 per genome yeah. Yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. What are we down to now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so <coughs> There's a host of lessons out of this little story. The one, the yeah. one I use most often for it is, so we're, we are very cloud-oriented, and that comes mm -hmm. from our desire to kind of responsibly share our data and the whole story I just went through on the larger data sets and how we can work there. Yeah. Um, but I often get into debates with my CIO buddies. They're like, well, how can you possibly do that? You know, mm -hmm. we've priced out the cloud. It's <coughs> twice as expensive. You're going to get locked in. you got to worry about egress. What are you mm -hmm. going to do for this? What are you going to do for that? And... Yes, all those things are valid concerns, and you need to do the math. But what we found is, to some extent, it's hard to do the math before you start. Because it is mm. a different implementation of a bo all your infrastructure. And you're ultimately going to be able to use it differently. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, the, the, while you know, doing an apples-to-apples apples comparison sounds like the most logical place in the world to start, mm -hmm. in the end, you're not going to end up with the same apple in the cloud that you started with on-prem. Right. So our, our example is over the first six months in, we were able to take what we thought was a well-understood pipeline, a mm -hmm. finely tuned pipeline, and remove 80% of the cost. Now, that's not 80% versus on-prem. We took 80% mm -hmm. of what it cost us to do the first genome processing in the cloud yeah. out over the course of six months because huh. we got smarter about a completely different architecture. We were able to leverage it differently. Okay. So... Explain a bit more about that. What, so, it so, sounds like an entirely different architecture, but yeah. it wasn't. No, 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 no. no. So ultimately, what? In mm -hmm. the sense that um, preemptible instances are. So we're we're a big GCP customer. So I can talk mm -hmm. preemptible instances versus I forget exactly what AWS calls the same thing. Spot instances. Mm -hmm. um, but the notion of uh, I can I can acknowledge that by using a cloud provider's spare capacity, mm -hmm. cost is much cheaper than using committed capacity. Okay. That requires me to write my code a little differently. 
because the way these preemptible instances work is they might get preempted mm -hmm. in the middle of something, right. and I might not be done yet. Right. Um, so my code needs to be written in a way that says, well, you know, if the machine goes away, don't assume it's your data center that blew up. Assume that it's just your instance got preempted, and pick up with the last place where you made it appropriate to restart and mm -hmm. restart. And yeah, we find that happens fairly often. So in theory, you're burning some of the savings you got mm -hmm. um, because you're doing some things twice. You have but to, it, and you have to wait a little bit. Uh, you don't necessarily end up waiting. Mm -hmm. you, you wait in the sense that you have to go back to the beginning and start again on a oh, piece. Okay. Um, but then you end up writing your code in, you know, a think MapReduce kind of approach. You end up writing your code in a way that you've broken it into several strings. So your step back mm -hmm. um, isn't all that big. It's not like you scrap everything you've done for the last day and ah. go back to the beginning. You scrap what you did on this thread in the last three minutes. And so go it's a back very iterative beginning. procedure, essentially. You see, and you end yeah. up, you've written your code very differently. You've mm -hmm. leveraged a different infrastructure. You saved the fortune in the process. Yeah. And with very methods of just getting smarter and smarter about that we were able to remove 80% of the cost in six months um, so that's a case where we ended up with I don't know you started with an apple to apple and we ended up with an apple and a pear apple and, to a raisin yeah yeah an apple to a raisin <laughs> fair enough yeah, yeah. Or, or a pear to a yeah. raisin yeah. yeah and that and going into it that's not something that would have been predictable I right. mean this is not something right. that you didn't have this in your toolkit before absolutely not yeah. right Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. The um, well, as a matter of fact, I was uh, your own CIO background. I thought was very interesting because mm. you said when you, you know, that you weren't really prepped for mm. what you expected the Broad would be looking for. You know, you were not a big researcher with a, a huge high-performance right. computing background. Uh, you came in from you know your years at Gillette. You've got a lot of business and auditing background, and Biogen was a great experience. Yeah. But this was something entirely new. So how did uh, how did that happen for you? Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I, you mm -hmm. could say simplistically, I have the wrong three letters after my name. They're MBA, not PhD. Um, yeah, and it, and it's yeah. a it's a completely different way of coming at the problems. And you know, I'll mm -hmm. say kudos to to the Broad mm -hmm. for thinking carefully about the nature of the challenges that were in front of them at the time and what was what they saw as the best solution to that. Yes. And at the time, I, I was hired because I didn't know those things, not despite not knowing those things. Isn't that interesting? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, listen, huh. what else am I going to say, right? Uh, <laughs> but it, it struck me as a, as a really kind of inspired way to look at a problem yeah. and make a, a not immediately obvious choice yeah. for a role like this. And I got to, I got schooled quickly. Um, yes. I spent a lot of time going deep very early on with some fantastic folks on the staff, fantastic folks uh, around the institute, and really learned a great deal. Yeah. But was able to come at it kind of clean slate. That's really neat. Yeah. That's it, really it, neat. It was it's a great a, way to do it. I'd highly, you know, I highly it, encourage it. <laughs> in a couple of ways, you know, it's sort of, you talk about the Biogen grounding prior to that. That's the way I got into Biogen a little bit as well, mm -hmm. is that somebody there said, we need, you know, we'll be launching several drugs over the next few years. Mm -hmm. We need somebody who understands big, sophisticated supply chains like Procter and Gamble. Right. Right. And Procter & Gamble had bought Gillette after I was there 20 years. Mm -hmm. I had done a lot of work in the supply chain space. Yeah. So despite not knowing biology, uh, mm -hmm. I told them I didn't know chemistry. They pointed out biology was what mattered at a biotech. I told them that was ninth grade, not 10th grade. Yeah. Um, so You're right. It was. I, I didn't know that. It was you know, even further away, and yet I was able to bring a certain skill. Yeah. Um, 
And did you extend that to some of the people that you hired or brought in? I mean, do you look more for people with business backgrounds now? Versus? Yeah, I wouldn't say more for. It's not that I look for a business background versus some other background. It's mm -hmm. more just, I, you know, it, in the in a way, it's the diversity argument. Um, and it really is just be really, really detailed in understanding what actually matters to the decision you're making, not mm -hmm. all the things we think matters. And that goes all the way to, you know, the vast majority of jobs start out nowadays, you know, minimum degree, minimum requirements, bachelor's degree. Yeah. And there are a lot for which that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And there are some pretty damaging things that does to diversity of a team and by extrapolation into, yeah. you know, kind of the, the social fabric of a city. Mm -hmm. um, so think hard about what you really need and then go hire for that persistently. Yeah. Don't give up on what you actually need, mm -hmm. um, but be clear about what you need. Well, I've had uh, a couple of CIOs tell me that they've got a real focus now on they feel like they've got plenty of managers and plenty mm -hmm. of people on a leadership track. They need to find people that are builders and makers, mm. you know, especially if they're rebuilding a development organization mm -hmm. that was all outsourced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, talk about your staff. You have about 60 IT professionals right. on the IT staff, but of course, computing itself extends across all of Broad. Yeah, yeah. Um, a stat I use here a lot of times mm -hmm. is out of, out of the Broad employee community, um, I have about 400 with their own GitHub account. Um, and I use that. And that tells just, you a lot right there. Just, that yeah. points to kind of the phenotype that shows up at the Broad. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a compute-intensive place. But the, yeah. the 60 people on the team cover kind of the normal range of, pe of what you'd expect in an IT shop. We have mm -hmm. our infrastructure, our high-performance compute, our research IT component. Uh, we have our enterprise systems folks doing everything from you know your ERP to your HR systems, et cetera. We mm -hmm. have a service desk function. We have a network team. Uh, you know, so we have that whole you have a full range functioning foundation it's for a all fully the functioning stuff. foundation for mm -hmm. what's there and it's and it's a great team uh you know we have we i don't know where it'd be interesting to see where i sit three plus years in have i made like the midpoint of tenure yet um uh, for the team that's there just about because the um our state of the cio research tells us that the average tenure for a cio in an enterprise these days is about five years yep. and two or three months uh, yeah. Yeah, and, so. and there's that stat, and I think another interesting one is like out of the team, mm -hmm. you know, have half of the team been hired before or a after me yet? Yes. And where do I kind of sit in that in that space? But we have a mm -hmm. range of folks who've been there for 20 or more. We had a 20th uh, anniversary cake the other day. Um, so we have tw a few mm -hmm. folks on that end of the spectrum and folks who've, you know, just a couple months in. Yeah. Um, so that helps, helps us kind of continually shape the, yeah. the mix we need. And do you see eventually, I mean, that whole balance between what percentage is in-house taken care of and on-prem, in-house and or on-prem, and then in the cloud, is shifting fairly wildly at some companies. Yeah. Um, what is the kind of the arc that the broad is on with yeah, that? We've been, we've been, I'd say, pointed in one direction, which is more cloud-based. Mm -hmm. um, we still have a very significant on-prem footprint. We we have probably 75 is the number I quote most often, 75 petabytes of data under management. Um, about mm. 55 of that is um, is cloud-based and a bit over 20 is, um, is still on-prem. So a 20 petabyte on-prem data footprint is significant. Mm -hmm. The number we've been quoting uh, around 17,000 core HPC environment on-prem. Uh, sig wow. obviously significant networking and whatever. So mm -hmm. um, we're pointed in one direction, but that doesn't mean 
on-prem doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right. Well, right. exactly. And I, uh, especially in when you talk to uh, big companies with a lot of legacy in various mm. industries, mm. there is um, aggressive, you know, cloud-first, mobile-first, data-first kind of yeah. plans going on. But then there is a certain part of the iceberg. Yeah. That's how I think of, you know, yeah. legacy systems. There's that that cute sunny part on the top with the polar bears and everybody's right. all happy up there and then there's what's really under yeah. the water and that's often the legacy and it doesn't always make sense yeah. to say oh yeah we're going to get that entire iceberg into the cloud yeah we, i think uh, a lot in terms of uh what i call code gravity um people uh, will often talk about data gravity but the fact of the matter is it's the code that kind of dictates where it is oh, we have we have tons of small pipelines across different areas of research that have been written by grad students or you know mm -hmm. remarkably accomplished pis over the years yeah. um, that assume a POSIX-based file system, for example. Um, so that alone mm -hmm. makes it a little hard to go throw it in an object store somewhere, yes. <laughs> throw it in a bucket somewhere. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, I was asking you for some of the examples of things you're working on, like your big business and tech initiatives, and you mentioned a DNA-based storage <laughs> system. Yeah. Does everybody like to talk about that? Yeah, no, this, this, one's a, this one's a ton of fun, right? Um, yeah. I'm imagining something where you press your thumb to something and it reads your DNA, but yeah. that's probably not that. Yeah, no, no, it's no. not that. Um, uh, so, listen, the notion is there are many storage formats in the world. We are all fluent mm -hmm. in one called the English language. Yes. Um, there's binary, there's hexadecimal, mm -hmm. and it turns out there's this other four-letter code that we know as D DNA. And mm -hmm. DNA is remarkably dense, um, dense, mm -hmm. dense like nothing else we can imagine Here's the example you gave me, 16 grams of DNA... Yeah, you know, it, it depends. You got to make a number of assumptions along the way, but yeah. you you could you could make a, a strong argument that it is be possible to put the roughly 40 zettabytes of data that exists today um, into about 16 grams of DNA. And that's the zettabytes worldwide. That's all the data that's, in all of the that's world. That's all the data in all the world. Yeah. 16 grams of DNA. Yeah, and you could you know leave it out on the floor. Yeah. Um, for a couple thousand years yep. um, and pick it up and read it then. You know, okay. there, there, there are lots of interesting arguments. There's the yep. density argument. There's um, there's kind of, you know, nature's been working on it for several billion years and maybe it's fairly well optimized. Um, there are some clever things you can do to take it beyond even that mm -hmm. state, for example, introducing other bases. Um, and there's the, the whole argument that it's, it's a format we're likely to stay interested in. Yes. It's our DNA. <laughs> so. Right, exactly. So how does this impact what the research community is doing in this area? Uh, does a DNA-based storage system exist right now, or is it in the research stages? Yeah, so so we don't have one at the Broad. Okay. Um, there have been, you know, the first papers on this, I think, were in 96 or so, so it's 20-plus oh. it's years since high time somebody's kind of conceived isn't it? of this idea. And yeah. there have been, you know, uh, numerous test cases mm -hmm. um, throughout the years. Uh, all kinds of different groups are working on this now. Yeah. Um, really, where we're focused right now is less on the whiz-bang of kind of writing nucleotides and how we store them and all that, mm -hmm. it's back to this consortium word. Okay. Um, where I'm personally am focused and a portion of my team is kind of focused is around this notion of how can we build a consortium so that this becomes a usable tool. I don't have to bet on which hardware implementation is actually right. going to work, mm -hmm. um, but we need the 
Linux kernel drivers so that somebody can actually call it. We need right. exabyte scale addressing mechanisms. We need a bunch of coding algorithms to be written. Mm -hmm. And there's some, uh, right back to it again, there's some good computer science work that needs to be done yeah. um, so that it will be ready to be a market-based tool. Mm -hmm. And the this consortium um, that you're, is it still in the talking stages? Gee, it would be nice if we had this and let's build it, or do you have a name and a We're, group of yeah, original no, members? Yeah, yeah, yeah no. So uh, we, 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 we have a name we like to use. We, um, uh, someone on the team coined the notion of oligos. So mm -hmm. an oligo is, is a string of nucleotides. So we okay. cleverly created the ordinary Linux-inspired genomic operating system. So okay. it came out oligos. Oligos. Uh, oligos. Uh -huh. um, that hasn't really stuck. Um, there hasn't really been anything all over that. It's not very musical sounding, yeah, I have you know, to admit. It, it's it's a little clever, but it's, it's maybe like just Linux took off when it got much. the little penguin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, mean, we, don't, we don't have an animal. We don't have a penguin. We don't have an animal yeah. for it. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have started mm -hmm. talking to some partners, and what's fascinating about it is there's there's actually a very, very wide range of people who could be interested in this. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, there, there's all the tech vendors, certainly all the storage community, yes. the tech vendors, the standards, uh, standards setting bodies. So you could right. work IEEE, you could work NIST, you could work any of these kinds of things. Um, um, but then there are a lot of kind of non-traditional uh, folks who could do it, anywhere mm -hmm. from autonomous vehicles to drones to mm. um, you know uh, uh, circuit city uh, close Closed, closed circuit, circuit TV. TV. I got stuck on Circuit City there for a minute. I know. Uh, closed I know. circuit TV, um, <laughs> which is you know, long gone. Which is long gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but you know, there are lots of ways. IoT community. Like there are lots of ways. We as a community are ready to start generating a whole lot more data. Um, yes. You know, by some estimates, uh, 2025 should be producing around 160, 170 zettabytes per year. Um, mm -hmm. And the projected capacity out of the disk storage industry mm -hmm. is that they'd be able to meet about 24% of that demand. And that's from them. Yep. And I'm going to assume their manufacturing forecasts might be a little rosy. Um, Right. So. Right. Well, and I know that I know you do a lot of work with Google Cloud, yep. and you do a lot with um, Dell and yep. EMC. Um, are there other leading vendors that are prominent in this right now? Um, so, you know, Microsoft's done a bunch of work in this space. They, okay. they work with uh, uh, University of Washington and uh, uh, a company out there that. You mm -hmm. wouldn't you wouldn't otherwise have heard of. There are lots of companies that are in there in there into the kind of the molecule side because there's some interesting mm -hmm. science that needs to get done in there. Mm. Um, you know, there are by one article I was recently reading and leveraging in my talk track around some of this is mm -hmm. there are 46 companies, 46 automotive manufacturer and related companies that have announced um, autonomous vehicle plans. Yes, I've been yeah. hearing about that a lot from the automotive yeah. CIOs that yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. so mm -hmm. if they're all over that, and all of them are all over that, mm -hmm. I have every reason to believe there will be a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not one company out there just kind of talking some crazy no, idea and no one believes it's going to happen. It's a like predictable it, direction. Yeah, it's a future. very predictable direction mm -hmm. in the very near term. Yes. And if you look at, you know, I think an estimate I was looking at earlier today shows by 2030, there may be something like 800, 800 million autonomous vehicles on the road, each popping out something on the order of four terabytes a day. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. You know, eight to the... 
whatever, eight to the eighth times four to the ninth is a lot of data per day. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. And the answers to what happens with that and what you do with it are Well, there. as it stands today, you're either it's going... It's like the X-Files. The answers are out there. You're right? either going to throw away mm -hmm. um, a, a shamefully large percentage, mm -hmm. but like without some transformative change in the way we do this today, yeah. you're going to be throwing away north of 90% of all yeah. the data, maybe north of 99% of all the data created if you mm -hmm. don't come up with some different way to deal with this. So. I wish we had more success stories for consortia in the IT yeah. industry. Because yeah. 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 I covered a lot of this when I was yeah. with Computer World and Open Systems was just getting going. I remember the Santa Cruz, the SCO consortium. There yeah. were there's just yeah. There seems to be one every couple of years. Yeah. There was one for a while, Rosetta Stone Yep. Consortium and yep. have you seen any? Are there any consortia other than the ones you're trying to yep. work on building right now? Have you seen any work? Has there been one yeah. in maybe the pharma industry that is a big success? Yeah, so uh, it, success depends a little, it depends help. a little bit on what you count, right? Okay. So do you count, um, you know, do you count IEEE as something that establishes a set of standards so standards, that various success. devices can get? built yep. and then you have interoperability. It's a good thing Do you to point count to. some of the stuff mm -hmm. that came out of the original DARPA work for the internet, for um, the internet. And, yeah. and what rapidly branched off to the IP-based specifications which mm -hmm. became the way kind of everything communicated and allowed it to launch. Yep. Um, we like to think that we're well suited to that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to be a commercial provider of devices that right. store this. Right. Um, we can be a bit of a market maker. We have deep expertise in this particular field okay uh, we can be kind of a neutral voice in there um, so to some extent those indicators point to almost a responsibility to do this if we yes. if I believe as strongly as I've been stating that this is going to be necessary mm -hmm. and I believe we are well suited to do it mm -hmm. then shame on me if we don't make a run at it like that right. just feels negligent well um, all right so what is the next big step in making that run at it yeah, so we're, we're at this building stage now where mm -hmm. I'm out talking about it. I, I talk to folks from a list of companies on a fairly regular basis now, mm -hmm. just kind of drumming up interest, seeing who could be in there, trying to figure out where the hurdles are going to be. There are some other angles. We'll, you know, we talk a little bit about what is our publication path. Uh, there are probably some papers that need to be written mm -hmm. to kind of establish you know, a roadmap and get the debate going for what other pieces that need to come together. Yeah. Um, but it, we're, we're somewhere between the end of planning and the beginning of doing. Um, well, and, and I feel like we're due for another big success story because you, mm. you mentioned IEEE and there's DARPA and there was NIST, mm. Mm. Uh, but those are 40, 50 year old yeah, yeah, organizations. Yeah, I had to reach. I, I had to reach. I feel like I know. Uh, I feel like it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, so that, well, that's good. And, um, on the pharma industry side of it, we, you made an interesting comment that in the pharma world, what we think about a lot in IT is Moore's Law. You know, mm -hmm. everything gets cheaper, better, faster over time, that it's kind of on its head in the pharma industry, which makes it... Uh, it makes some business challenges, I guess, yeah. for all organizations. Yeah, so I, I'm, uh, I'm built to be an optimist. Um, <laughs> but, yes, yeah, some, Good. some, Good folks, you, some but folks do joke <laughs> yeah. that, um, you know, Moore's Law with its rapidly declining cost density story mm -hmm. um, uh, is mirrored by E-Room's Law, just more spelled backwards, yeah. um, which mm -hmm. is the rate at which the cost of developing a new therapy is increasing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you can easily find quotes of a billion or two billion dollars kind of per therapy to kind of bring to market. And that, of course, leads us directly into the national debate we're having on drug pricing and all that. Right. Right. Um, so yeah. 
you know, maybe the optimist side of me says, um, as we see Moore's law kind of running into some physical limits, like mm -hmm. you can just only get so far back before quantum tunneling turns into a problem for the electrons and you just can't, yeah. you know, make them any denser. Electrons are electrons, Ma yeah. Maybe E-Room's law is going to, you know, peter out at the same time and huh. maybe we're on the edge of some interesting new things that, mm -hmm. that might start to turn that story around as well. Okay. Let's hope for all of us. Yeah. When you think about the next year or two of your own agenda, what is the what is the biggest hmm. project or uh, the biggest uh, effort that you want to get accomplished as the CIO at the Broad? Yeah, so we're deep into an agile transformation right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that that's absolutely that to me is the heart of so many things because it's not just hey do because we do we have stuff all over every wall you can find so the, the you're having your stand-up we've got stand-ups and visual <laughs> management like yep. you can't believe I, exactly. I went walking by a group the other day and I saw our COO um, and a number of folks who yep. were standing up around yep. a visual management board for you know a short-term kind of thing where they're focused on a couple internal needs mm -hmm. and I had a joke with her I'm like really like you're standing up around a board now too I know. um it that that is only trivially what it's about um what it what it, i see it as really about is we have 60 highly skilled highly passionate um knowledgeable well-trained professionals within the it organization yes uh, who am i to think that i can show up with the best plan forward or the only plan forward the leadership it, idea yeah, yeah. It, right like that that just isn't going to happen okay. so if we have 60 people who feel fully empowered to bring their best to the story to really bring all their knowledge their unique little insights their strange connections around mm -hmm. the institute that you could never predict bring those to thinking about what it ought to be doing next that's why i see us on this agile journey yeah well, the um, I, I, there's many things I love about Agile, but the, the just well, there's all kinds of great stories around it, of course, and they tend to be people stories because it's about collaboration. Yeah. It's about the IT department. Uh, it's more of an external focus. Yeah. They have to get out there and you know hang out with marketing people and right. that they never thought that they were going to. Right. Um, that that must be interesting to watch from uh, you know your own career. Uh, projection or your trajectory about how much the expectations have changed on IT professionals yeah. and the kind of skills that they need. How do you address that on your own staff? Yeah, so I, I like to tell a story. So it was, mm -hmm. I don't know, somewhere in the late 90s based on the role I was in, mm -hmm. mid, mid to late 90s. I was, I was, we were back at Gillette and I was doing a project which was to collect all kind of sales and distribution data from all the countries around Europe and bring mm -hmm. it together into this European data warehouse and we were going to do something clever with that. I forget what it was. Yeah. And I remember clearly going to my manager, Marie, at the time and saying, hey Marie, like, I'm a little worried. Like, when this is done, mm -hmm. what am I gonna do next? Like, we're gonna mm -hmm. be done. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm working myself out yeah. of a job, basically. So, all right, so that yeah. was a kid Fair talk. Enough. That was a kid talk. <laughs> because I, I feel, you know, as, as as would be obvious to anyone mm -hmm. who's over the first of those humps, uh, yeah. 
far further from the end um, than I thought now than I thought we were then. Yeah. Um, so we're clearly not even closing in on it. And mm -hmm. I see the same thing happen with cloud-based stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you see people get very worried that that uh, you know my skills as a as a storage uh, admin or my skills as a sysadmin aren't going to be needed anymore. Right. That's not true. They're going to change, right? Yes. You're going to be pushed towards code and infrastructure is code and you're going to mm -hmm. have to go that way. You see it in the agile transformation. You see managers who are yes. like, well, I'm a manager and I own directing people what telling them what to do. Like, how, how do how does that play in a world with self-directed teams? Yeah. You know, your skills that have are changing. technical skills that maybe I've gotten a little rusty yeah. on or yeah. never learned in the first place. Yeah. yeah. But there's huge storytelling skills. There's huge skills of just yeah. understanding what your organization is up to. There's huge skills of, of a huge need for the skill of self-introspection and just understanding what it is that you're passionate about yes. and, and finding a way to be doing that in your life. And mm -hmm. a lot of a stunning amount of that can be where you are. Like it, uh, you know, yeah. this, this isn't like oh, everyone has to quit and go. I don't know, do something. Mm -hmm. um, no, you can do that where you are, and you can be choiceful. And you know, stories like the DNA storage thing, whatever mm -hmm. the, that that didn't show up on anybody's project list. Um, right. A little bit came out of the blue for us, and we're all over. Like we, yeah, so. Well, and <clears throat> I enjoyed when we were talking earlier, I enjoyed your reaction when I brought up digital transformation uh -huh. because that's one of our <laughs> big favorite buzzwords these yeah. days. Yeah. And you had a um, you had a, a rather um, negative reaction to it. Yeah. You're like, God, I'm sick of hearing about yeah. that. Yeah. So what is what is your issue there? Yeah, so yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's really lack of specificity. It's, it's an all-purpose it's, it's one of those words that just doesn't really mean anything. Like cloud? It's sort of like cloud. Yeah. yeah. We, we, mm -hmm. don't, we don't talk about a cloud first. Like I have the same no. reaction to cloud first. Like yeah. I just it's can't like, stand it. Um, <laughs> no. Let's talk about why. what were the insights that came from cloud? What are the insights that come out of you know, 12,000 different digital transformation initiatives? Mm -hmm. And which of those apply to the challenges I have? And yes. what can we go do? Mm -hmm. um, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I like yeah. that. And I've yeah. just, as much as I love talking about digital transformation, and my, uh, my research friends at IDC have shorthanded it, and they call it DX. Yeah. It yes. makes it sound yes. so cool. Although yes. I keep thinking X is experience. Yeah. So I'm like digital experience, but a lot of times it's a talk about that too. Yeah. It's about customer journey and what people are experiencing. But I can see how a lot of the your PhDs uh, at the institute would be pretty impatient. Yeah. with that because yeah. it's just as you pointed out technology is a tool right yeah right. Um, leadership strategies lessons learned I always love to kind of hit on that I like yeah. one of the things you said about that that you're okay with not knowing the answer going in yeah have you, have you always been like that or did you have to develop this when you started when you got surrounded by PhD scientists yeah, 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 yeah. well it, it, <laughs> it, it was good that it was reasonably well formed then okay it came mm -hmm. at me hot and heavy then yeah um, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I I doubt I always did. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't pretend I can remember exactly how I came into the workforce, um, <laughs> but I doubt um, yeah. I came in that way. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the, I told you the story of the Biogen hire. Um, it was specifically around. They, I was mm -hmm. there for my supply chain expertise, not for my drug company expertise. And I remember Greg saying as he was mm -hmm. hiring me, he said, he said we got four thousand or whatever it was, probably three thousand other employees at that point who understand yes. uh, the biotech industry. We need someone who understands supply chain in IT. Right. Like we right. need someone who understands that. Um, the so, business end of the stick, yeah. essentially. So yeah. I, I keep getting that reinforcement in my career in kind of strange ways, but that reinforcement mm -hmm. in my career. 
criteria. That is, you know, be confident in what you know, bring what you know, do, you know, bring real value in mm -hmm. what you know, and don't get hung up on pretending you're bringing value to things you don't actually know about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than maybe an additional perspective kind of thing. Because you'll quickly be re-educated You're going to be wrong, and you. that's yes. not going to work well. Right, right, um, right. The... Um, I was thinking, you know, hearing hearing you talk about the Broad and and knowing that whole Kendall Square community mm. and all the all the technology brilliance that mm. is surrounds mm. that whole community. I don't know whether talent acquisition and retention mm. would be the easiest thing on your agenda, or whether it's incredibly tough because you've got Google right across the street. And my my son works at Google yep. as a software engineer, yep. and I don't think he'll ever leave. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a very sticky company. Yeah, I mean, no, once absolutely. you get in it, they've yeah. got a great story, and and yeah, this is so. where the parallel is the same. They have an amazing story. Mm -hmm. um, they have a great. Um, kind of orientation. I, I see it as an engineering orientation. That's the end we see. I don't know what he's involved with, but engineering, they, they, they view, engineering. The, they view yeah. the world that way, um, yes. uh, which is hugely attractive. And it's it's mm -hmm. it's people who have chosen to be there because that really works for them. Yeah, that's the same story we tell. Right yeah. there, there we have a number of researchers from the from the institute leader through a whole host of the the principal investigators, the PIs that we have around the organization, mm -hmm. um, where students have come through schools studying because they want to be part of so and so's lab at some point. Really? Um, so wow. like it's it's yeah. that kind of profile, and mm -hmm. it's a huge motivation. People know they want to do this stuff. The Broad has a wonderful reputation that. And that reputation we can leverage into the technology world as well. Mm -hmm. You can get to, you know, we're moderate. I don't know. I don't know how you think of 60 people. We're not that big an organization as no. an IT shop. Um, and yet you're dealing with numbers, you know, we talk petabytes like kind of no big deal. If it's a single mm -hmm. digit petabyte, like that's not a problem. Or we rolled right, five new right. petabytes in yesterday, like that's not a big that's not a big deal kind of thing. You get to work at a scale um, mm -hmm. that you're probably not going to uh, till much later in your career. Yes. Um, uh, so we have our ways of attracting people. Mission, mm -hmm. scale, uh, purpose, cool well, environment, <coughs> white and, neighborhood, you know, close I mean, partnership with Google. <laughs> and one of the things on your mission list is things like curing cancer yeah. and solving the human genome eventually right. and, and, and all of that. So that certainly has a great appeal. Is there? Do you have um, – how do you approach diversity? on your yeah. team uh, yeah. because you know the problem in IT. It tends yeah. to be very heavily, well, I, for the people I see, it's middle-aged white males generally. Right. So um, right. do you have a specific plan that you use to approach that or how do you view yeah. all that? So mm -hmm. I don't know if it answers the specific plan question. Mm -hmm. The plan is, yes, that absolutely needs to be addressed. Yes. Um, so unswervingly, like I, I'm actually pretty proud of where we are. Uh, we've done deep detail kind of across the institute mm -hmm. um, and across the institute I, I think we're you know among the best balanced I've seen certainly anywhere public uh, anywhere yes. published kind of stuff so I, so I feel very good across the institute and within mm -hmm. IT it's it's something we've been focusing on um, I can tell you when my leadership team gets together um, you know the core bit of the team there's three women and two guys in the room okay. um, and good you go you. then you Excellent. go the next level it gets a little less balanced and mm -hmm. if you look at the entire organization it's still not perfect but it comes a little bit it's a we have a problem in the middle um, but that's yeah. on gender diversity yeah. um, racial diversity um, we have the same challenge there um, mm -hmm. but we are also very closely working on that including partnering with a number of folks around 
the city um, who yeah. are solving problems like that. Folks like Resilient Coders who are doing some fascinating work in that space and mm -hmm. really kind of causing some change in that space. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're all over it very intentionally. Well, and I'm sure once you get your ultimate consortium together, that will be in the principles, you know, that'll yeah. make it into the Ten Commandments of, <laughs> of, 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 the, uh, of the consortium. Right. Right. Um, excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been Are we really at 45 so minutes? I think we really are. Yeah. Are well, we? Yes, we yeah. are. Yeah. I know. I was even keeping an eye on my watch because I have a tendency to just keep talking with yeah. CIOs. Yeah, no, and, fun. You know, it really has been. And uh, I really appreciate your coming in. And this has been a great conversation. Is there anything I forgot to ask you about? Anything no. important you have going on? N nothing I really need to say other than okay. thank you so very much. I enjoyed having this conversation here Excellent. today. Excellent. Excellent. Mm, uh, me too. Me too. If you joined us late for this fascinating conversation with Bill Mayo, then you can watch the full episode later on today on CIO.com or YouTube. Or you can listen to an audio podcast of it wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us for our next episode, which will be on Wednesday, June 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern, when I'll be joined by Julie Uska, who is the CIO and the Vice President of IT for the Colorado Community College System. And we'd also love you to sign up and, uh, and subscribe to our new YouTube channel, which is called IDG Tech Talk. You can find all the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live there. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next month.